Welcome to Mormons on Mushrooms. In this podcast, we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a fulfilling life. We often discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. In addition, the opinions offered by our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts of this podcast. If you'd like to support the program, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash Mormons on Mushrooms. Thank you for listening and enjoy. I'm still fidgeting around with my space too. Here, let me consent. Lovely. So there's like a consent to record. Oh yeah, yeah when, you didn't know that. Yeah, no. when you hit when you hit record, Mike, we on our end have to say like continue or leave meeting or something like that. Oh really? That's a new yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer. I wish I could record people on the fly. It would make my life so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh Zaley, is that right? Yes. Okay. So good to finally meet you. I'm Doug. Um, Mike. over there is Mike. I don't know where he is on your screen, but he's right, right there on mine. I see. I see what you mean. Doug and Mike got <laughs> it. I think I got it. <laughs> Mike, I've been texting with, I've been voice memoing with actually. Yeah. We've been oh. exchanging back and forth, even though I'm slow to respond a lot of times, <laughs> but jury duty, it's been a thing. I've on, you know that Doug. Yeah. You were here at my house last week. <laughs> yeah. 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 You balanced it. Well, I, I, uh, I was feeling kind of bad for you when you'd have to get up early and go to jury duty, but way to, way to fulfill your, uh, your critical role as a citizen. I'm a man of the people, you know? Yeah. uh... Yeah, I'm so happy for you. I just feel like it's only going to get easier after jury duty, you know, speaking as someone who's never served it, I just feel like it's given me a complex. Like I'm not a real adult because I don't know what goes (laughs) on at jury duty. (laughs) I've been served. I mean, I think that's what they say at the end. Congratulations. You are now an adult and (laughs) it'll be great. Yeah. (laughs) Give you like a little card that you can show people and. Yeah. Unlocks unlocks all sorts of new possibilities for you, Mike, now that you're a, a full-blown adult in this country. It's a whole deal now, though, because now like, <laughs> now that I'm doing it at this stage in my journey, I sit there and, and, and analyze. I'm not analyzing the case as much as I am. How, how are these people mirrors to myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to pass the time. Yeah. Oh. Mike, how old are you? Can I ask that? Yeah, I'm 41. You're 41. Yeah. Okay. Cause like when I was just working with your voice, I was picturing you like MTC. Do you know what I mean? Really? Like, yeah. Clean shaven. Yeah. Maybe 25, you know, it was fun. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> you thrown off with that one. <laughs> and Doug is also 41. Yeah. <laughs> Life's been a little harder to me than it is. I'm headed to 40 myself this year, but I've been rounding up for like the last three, I would say. Oh, nice. I've been identifying with my 40s. I like that. I like that too. And and in fact, 40 and 41 have been my very favorite. Like I really struggled when I turned 30 because I thought 
I should be a millionaire with a big house on the beach and all that kind of stuff by the time I was 30. And now I'm like, I don't want any of those things. I feel like I've been 40 since I was 12 years old. So I'm living the dream now. (laughs) That's what I've been drawn to probably. Yeah. It's 40s. 40s radical. Well, Zaley, I know we've been we've been flirting with this one for a long time. Been yeah. having some foreplay leading up to this one. <laughs> In fact, let me just share a little bit because I think it's kind of cool. Like, ran into you through Instagram right when I was like starting to be like, I just need to lean into life's synchronicities. I just barely learned that term synchronicity, and was we had Shalise on, and she had brought up the Akashic records, and I was like. Yeah. What are the Akashic records? What is this? And so I reached out to my uh, Kundalini yoga group. I'm like, someone there will know for sure. Oh yeah. And they pointed me in the direction of the hello universe podcast. So I listened to an episode on that podcast, reached out to the host and was like, Hey, that's a great podcast. And she's like, Oh, by the way, you need to talk to Zaley, my friend. And she was on episode three or four or something. And so I listened to that episode and was like, okay, I'm going to follow the breadcrumbs. So I reached out to you then. And we've been flirting since August, maybe of last year. And it's been, I hope we're all nice and warm now, ready for this one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, the timing has been perfect. It's been perfect. (laughs) And I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how we crossed paths. I mean, I knew it was Instagram. Yeah. And I knew that it was when I was the, the reason I was on Instagram was at the time I was offering my services as a therapeutic hypno practitioner. And so she shed was that at the time. Um, and Kylie is the host, Kylie Caldwell, yeah. co-host of the Hello Universe podcast. And she and I go way back. We met as undergrads. Um so I'm just so delighted that we have a human trail as well. As much uh-huh. as I love the digital serendipity, that's even cooler. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you. So maybe we start with tell people who you are, you know, and what you're doing now. Cause now, cause I noticed now when you reached back out and said, I'm ready, I'm like, okay, we're ready. Your Instagram was all of a sudden blank. You're like, this is a new slate for you as you're about to turn 40, maybe like a new, new chapter. I wouldn't be surprised if that had something to do with it. I do love fresh semesters. That's Kylie could tell you that as well. Um, But that was a pretty big thing for me to wipe my Instagram. I needed to communicate to my own conscious. I understood from my hypno training that I had to be very clear about pivoting intentions. And so to answer your question of what I'm doing now, this really changed during the pandemic. It changed my ability to offer my my clinical services, which had been primarily in-person and one-on-one. And for obvious reasons, a million things shifted as they did for all of us. And I ended up becoming more what I had been before, which is a project-based producer. And so She Shed Now is She Shed Creations, which is my production company that I run here in Austin, Texas. And its primary production right now is a salon for other performance artists uh, in the Texas area. So, yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's a thrill. (laughs) 
it's a great pivot. And there was a lot of overlap, you know, because what sort of happened to me at some point too was as I was going deep offering these services, I began to feel like these women is primarily who I serve. They're not broken women, which is the story they sort of arrive with and that I arrived with when I first was seeking out hypnotherapy myself before I became certified in it. But actually, they're more like frustrated leaders, frustrated visionaries and artists. And that really dovetailed with the other exploration I was having at the time, which was participating in the Austin stand-up scene, uh, which was quite a place when I first moved here about five years ago, and it's having another renaissance now. Um, so yeah, it all just kind of came together in its own time, but not before COVID and the COVID crisis totally broke me. <laughs> I, I, I'm okay. So I'm, a, I'm the dumb one of the podcast. So when you say the Austin stand-up scene, are, are you talking about stand-up comedy or are you talking about some kind of like movement of some kind? Well, first of all, I was hoping you would let me judge which one of you would be the dumb one on the podcast because no. it's it becomes we'll obvious at the really end. early and it's really awkward because the the, the guest doesn't want to like say something. But yeah, I it really depends on my mood. To be fair, it really okay. depends on my mood. Let the um, feminine yes, lead. Yes, but... good question though. Stand up comedy uh, oh, okay. was sort of like I really didn't know what I wanted from it when I began to do it, but it it, it was. Basically, I had one of those stories where um, motherhood transformed my career path. And once my daughter was weaned, I went out kind of looking to try everything and not really knowing where I was going to go from there. And stand up was a part of that. And now stand up for me is more rolled into a more a general craft of performance art, but definitely a huge influence and definitely a favorite for me to practice and to teach about for sure. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Have you all heard about the Austin stand-up kind of like, because it's a little bit of a controversy too. Joe Rogan moved here quite publicly with the intention of like helming this ship, which had always been kind of tied with Chicago as a little bit between like LA and New York, like the tier before for performers. Um, but yeah, since restrictions it's it's become like one of those battlegrounds for free speech where people had different opinions about what was ethical to carry on in terms of gathering an audience. And uh -huh. so uh, it's it's just a really different scene now, but also really, really rich and and intriguing to me. So I think you should keep an eye on Austin and, and all of your listeners looking forward. I just was in Austin for the first time a couple months ago. Oh, loved really? It. Yeah, loved it yeah. there. But I didn't see any stand up. So I think well, give me a heads up next time you come and okay. we'll, uh, we'll give you a little walking tour. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. One of the things I love that what you were, you said though, Zaley, when you said you wiped your Instagram slate clean, kind of a new slate speaking to your subconscious. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that for a minute uh, because there is something I think we do as humans a lot. We don't realize our subconscious is paying attention as much as it is. Right. And so you know, even at, th at things like, you know, Doug and I, we're, I'm going to say it right now, dabbling in, gu in guitar. But when I say that my subconscious now says, 
oh, we're just dabbling. That's what we're doing. You know, <laughs> oh, you know, and maybe is a little offended by my saying I'm dabbling in guitar when I'm putting myself down or, or talking down about another person or something, you know, the subconscious is listening and it's picking up on our cues. And yeah, so I kind of wanted to point that out. I think that's pretty cool what you did there. Huh. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my job as a hypnotist was really to educate people about their options for improving their own resolve, improving their own ability to communicate with themselves. And most of it really like the biggest block is just humbling ourselves and admitting how fundamentally basic the majority of our psyche is and how it really just needs these pretty corny in some ways, um, exaggerated gestures of intention and focus. And that's really what hypnosis is. That's another question that I get a lot because it can be defined a few different ways. And um, typically we define it now in relationship to the nervous system because that's very helpful for people these days. Um, but it, all, it also can be explained in spiritual or energetic language. But basically hypnosis is the deepest possible state of conscious intended thought. And so it's the place where we can kind of get the most bang for your buck in terms of synchronizing your memory and your intention. So doing these things like that really was for me. And uh, I had been very attached to my writing. Like I, I've had a lot of digital house fires in my day where, you know, a huge emotional loss because of something disappeared that had meant a lot to me. And that would have been obvious, you know, if it had been like, my, my journals, my books, but, um, I, I almost had that phobia of losing all of these micro essays that I, I'd put my heart into really. And, and all of the responses that I got from these relationships that started digitally, but became real, you know, um, and at a crucial time right before the pandemic for me was a really crucial time of shedding for myself. Um, so it was super powerful. Yeah. To be like, I'm actually going to choose to let go huh. of, you know, uh, all of these receipts and just start on my next chapter. Hmm. And I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. Speaking of hypnosis, sorry, Doug, am I cutting you off or not? But I, I want to dive no, in. No, I have, some, I have questions, but please go ahead, Mike. But um, I was watching something on Gaia today. So uh, Shalise, our other co-host who couldn't be here today, she uh, invited me over for a Gaia marathon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty sweet. But like, I can only make up some of it. But one of them, he was talking about basically the programs that we run in our subconscious mind that from zero to seven, and I don't know how much of this is fact or woo woo or what, but like from zero, this is what he was saying from zero to seven, our brains are operating at a, at a different brain wave than we are now, you know, more, I don't know, alpha, beta, zeta, whatever they are, but like, at a, you're thinking at, of alpha. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and so basically we are being programmed from ages zero to seven. And then we can change those programs as we get older, as we approach 40 right? But it, it becomes harder. We're not dealing, we're, we have to get into our subconscious in order to really, you know, and get into habits and rituals and, you know, or do hypnotherapy or uh, plant medicine or meditation or other things to get 
deeper than our conscious thinking brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's seven is the age that is most typically cited. It's not totally agreed upon, but seven is the age that most people would say, um, is, is when this brainwave shift happens from alpha to beta dominance. Um, and one way of describing it is, is that we're being programmed at that time. Another way you might say it is that we're just sort of, we're in a dominant trust mode and so we're making impressions very deeply and very rapidly um, because we're trusting the information that we're getting. Some of those impressions will continue to be true and continue to be relevant throughout our lives. Some of those impressions are ancient and are passed on reflexively and can probably never be interrupted. And some of them are basically psychic junk mail or cellular junk mail that we are hoarding unknowingly and that we do have cultural systems uh, for disposing of. But those are folk traditions that need to be passed on, which is not a uniquely human thing. Plenty of species have education belt, built into their most essential cultures. Um, and so the, the tradition of hypnosis, I mean, people conventionally trace it back to like Mesmer and France, but this is a phenomenon that occurs naturally in uh, cultures living closely to the earth all over the world. So uh, it's pretty exciting, actually. If you ever take a deep dive on hypnosis, um, it's, it's just as juicy as you would think. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like this, I feel like I want to take a deep dive on hypnosis right now, if we've got the time for it and, and we can, can you chat with us a little bit? So when, when it comes to hypnosis, um, can you talk a little bit about how, you got into that and, and what that looks like. I mean, it's obviously something more than when, when I think of hypnosis, I think of uh, finding a way to stop smoking cigarettes or, um, you know, the entertainment value of making somebody come up and, you know, bark like a dog and, you know, mm -hmm. act like they're frozen in place and stuff like that. Can we talk a little bit about uh, hypnotherapy? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've just put it really well what the two associations are. Um, the second one is what we call stage hypnosis, and it's for entertainment purposes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not that it's not true hypnosis. It just really is all about the intent. So you're still using the suggestibility of the crowd. You're still using people's unconscious desires and you're still using a certain um, technique for reading cues and offering cues in kind in order to achieve the result you want. So for stage hypnosis, that's probably laughter and applause. Um, and for clinical hypnosis or spiritual hypnosis, there are various different terms. But the idea being more that you want to migrate from a certain emotional state or um, physiological pattern to a different one that's going to serve you better. And so that's what I practice. Um, but I'm getting increasingly curious about the stage hypnosis, to be honest. And it's sort of funny to me that I've never gone into it. Um, but yeah, you, everything's unfolding in its own time. Have you done it, Doug? I've been, I've been, uh, like, you know, on stage hypnotized type of thing, which that, that to me feels like a, 
almost like a, a a contractual agreement between the the performer and the uh, audience, right? So you get chosen out of the audience. I, I feel like a, a a stage hypnotist has to be pretty good at reading who's going to be uh, susceptible to that, who wants to put on a good show, who wants to be part of the whole thing, you know, like uh, like who wants to have applause and who wants to get the laughter and stuff like that. So when I was hypnotized. Um, you know, for, for a while there, I kind of forgot the thing that he told me that was my thing. Like my whole thing was when I stood up to go back to my seat, I would think that my feet were bolted into the ground and I couldn't move, but I couldn't remember what it was. Like I was sitting there, you know, you're sitting there in a pretty relaxed state, but then I started, my anxiety started getting to me because I was like, oh shit, it's about my turn. And I can't remember what, I can't remember what my thing is. Yeah. And then as it got closer and closer, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's about being, you know, my feet are bolted. So then I started planning my whole thing where I was going to stand up and start to make like I was going to walk and, and almost fall over and act like I was going to lose my balance, which I did that. You know, he got his laugh. I got my laugh. He came over and tapped my legs and set me free and let me go back to the audience. But I was so, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I was very aware of that I was there on the stage and that there were people watching me and that I had a role to play and and to fulfill for that. And I don't know what the, I I don't know where the line is of like, you know, I don't think a hypnotist could, you know, be like the snake from the Disney Robin hood. Right. And just like, you know, get the swirling eyes and make me do (laughs) something I didn't want to do. I think that that, that stage hypnotism is sort of like that agreement between the two parties of like, okay, we're going to put on a little show here and I'm going to be suggestible right. and, and influenced by what you tell me to do. And I also want to perform a little bit. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating to hear your experience of it. And I think it depicts well what the stage hypnotist understands as, as part of their craft, which is, which is a few things, but one of them is that cooperation is the lesser embarrassment and humans are very motivated by our embarrassment and our desire to avoid it. But we can have simultaneously the desire to be seen, to be applauded, to participate, um, to have a glimmer of that supercharge, which is the attention of many people on you at the same time. That's very stimulating for our nervous system. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I had a very similar experience. I was on a Disney cruise and, uh, went on stage and I'm not a performer. I get stage fright. I, you know, panic and I'm up, up there and whatever it was. So I knew what I was doing, but I felt completely on board and completely relaxed to do it. And one of the things I had to do at the very end was he sent me back in the audience. And when he said a certain word, I had to stand up and start singing hi, ho, hi, you know, like hi, ho, everyone out and walk them out of the room. So I'm (laughs) sitting there waiting for my cue and I wasn't feeling nervous at all. Just like, this is going to happen. Get up. And I did it. And so, you know, people came in, up and asked me afterwards, well, did you know what you were doing this? And, you know, I played along, like I, I just was doing it. Right. But in my mind, I'm like, no, I knew exactly what I was doing, but I, I still did it. And I still, you, you were okay with it. doing it. Yeah. yeah. You had a strong incentive to cooperate. Yeah. That's a huge one. Uh, huh. That's Mike, you and 
or excuse me, your mate and I hmm. were having this very conversation where one of the strongest emotions I feel is secondhand embarrassment. And so for Oof. me, I'm feeling that so strongly that I didn't want the hypnotist guy and his dorky little hypnotist outfit and his dad jokes and all that kind of stuff. I didn't want him to look like he had failed. Like not only that, I mean, obviously I wanted to let my freak flag fly a little bit and I wanted to be part of the show. And, and it kind of gave me permission to do that because the audience was expecting me to do that. They knew the agreement that had been made, but even on a deeper level, I was like, oh man, I would feel the worst I could ever feel (laughs) if I messed this guy's show up. You know, especially after volunteering, because I volunteered to go up there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's very human of you. That's how the show works. And so in a way, those shows really are like a performance of empathy because they're very much based on that. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I feel like we, I feel honestly, stage hypnotism fascinates the fuck out of me. And so (laughs) I would love to talk about that the whole time, but I, I think before we get into what you do, Zaylee, I, I I think probably if you're up for it, I think we'd like to just know a little bit about who you are. Like, what what was your childhood like, and how did you get from there to here, and who the fuck are you? You know that kind of stuff. Oof. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, first thing that comes to mind when you say childhood is Vermont. That's where I was raised as a Ooh. Mormon, and so oh shit, it's that's not like a huge Mormon metropolis <laughs> <laughs> the, the old ancestors. stronghold of vermont yeah <laughs> your ancestors stayed near the state new york area right? <laughs> yeah it's the land of joseph for sure we have we have our bragging rights but population wise um it's already a pretty low population state and then the mormons were pretty sparse so that's a little sliver of my upbringing but the backstory to that even is that my parents were both converts. Um, and so I, I have what I have come to call a very like subtly multicultural upbringing um, because it was like a triple white situation in today's <laughs> parlance. Whereas <laughs> in Vermont, which was at the time... I I believe technically the whitest state in the nation per capita. Uh, I was being raised Mormon, which is typically thought of for better or worse as a pretty white religion. Um, Something about we wouldn't let black people fully participate until like nothing about that something in there makes it very white bread. Yeah. Did I see a tweet? Yeah. Weird. Um, And then, and then also that my family is very Irish identified, which is typically thought of as a very, you know, white nationality or ethnic background. So um, all of that like checked out as white on the surface, but underneath there were actually a lot of conflicting assumptions and basically cosmologies of these different little cultures that that I was coming up in and, and learning to kind of code switch within. But I would say it it probably, and I was like really killing it too, like really some, (laughs) some high level golden child, Molly Mormon. Yes. Um, Until without getting into all the details, just some, some, some high level 
high school heartbreak um, and religious heartbreak and puberty heartbreak and different versions of that, that kind of set my twenties off on like, um, I want to say like a spasmodic quest, spasmodic quester. Yeah. Yeah, um, But I've received, I've been really lucky to receive many kinds a very rich education from that background. And so now what I have in my life is um, a place where I've settled here in Texas, um, a really great network and some time for integration of all of that. And so, so now what I do in terms of how I spend my time and what my business is, is always just trying to get to a redistribution of those blessings, if you like, of the stories that I've been gifted, of the perspectives um, that I've been able to embody. And, and yeah, just, just like amazing mentors that I've had and how to cool my blood, which has taken a while to learn (laughs) 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 and participate in the way that, that I can feel my soul longs to. So well, I feel yeah. like this is a good time to bring up that Zaley is actually your pen name, correct? Or yes. And your given name is Eliza, after mm-hmm. Eliza R. Snow. Mm-hmm. And oh. it, it's interesting, when you were speaking earlier about the stage you, you were creating, I wish I could remember the phrase you used for the woman you were talking about. Do, do you remember how you described them? For the stage? Well, they, she said these are not broken women, but... She, oh, but she went into and oftentimes, leaders. yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I couldn't help yes. but think of Eliza R. Snow in that moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh wow! Well, I'm very curious about what your impressions are of her because I will tell you this: I've always loved being named Eliza. <laughs> it's not like I became Zaylee because fuck Eliza or anything like that. I mean, I maybe I needed a little space, but mostly I wanted privacy for the people in my life because of what I was using the name for at the time, and. um and I just think it's totally natural too for people to have multiple names, but um, especially performers. Um, but I, I really have come to believe also that names make impressions on us or, or the names that we carry really do affect the lives that we live out. And so having this storied woman I will just say, I feel her like I'm I'm feeling her in my life these days (laughs) and it's very cool, but I want to know what you think of when you think of her. I mean, when I think of her and I'd love to get yours impression too, Doug is Uh, frustrated, you know, a leader, like one of the, when you think of a woman leader in the church, you think of Eliza R. Snow, because that was when they were, we were still like, Oh, maybe we could have women leaders as a thing. And then until we decided, no, we just can't do that really. But um, but I think of her writing, I think of how frustrating it must have been to be constantly kind of butting heads with, you know, her, I guess, husbands, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, in a way. But then also, I always always think of the hymn that they changed the name of uh from like. I forgot it was like eternal father and eternal mother or something to, Oh, my father. But in there is, are those lyrics that speak that I, you know, truth is reason, truth, eternal. I forget the words, but 
tells me I, I have a mother there. Yeah. And it just, it's this weird thing that Mormons have with this divine feminine where we, <laughs> every once in a while she resurges until, you know, a prophet comes along and is like, nope. And then she kind of goes back into hiding for a couple of decades and then people start talking about her again. And even recently, I think there was a neck, there was like a silencing of uh, Fiona Givens or something for bringing her back up a, a woman writer in the church, but. Ooh, I got to write that down. I'm trying yeah. to keep up with this stuff, you know? Yeah. It gets harder and harder to keep up with the further you keep remote distance yourself from the church. That's what I've found. Like I went to a, I went to a mission farewell this afternoon and people were talking about stuff that I should have known, but I was like, Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't know that was still going on. And I felt kind of good about that. I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit. Um, you sound like you're in a faculty lounge, like shaking your newspaper. <laughs> I really, like literally like, and making a big scene of it, like holding it up in front of my face. <laughs> um, yeah. For me, Eliza Snow. So, I'm just now realizing that Zaley is a anagram. Anagram is that the right word I'm looking for of Eliza, right? Yeah, I think it is. It's more specifically, it's actually this French form of slang called Verlon, and that that's where I picked it up. It's when I was working in France, and but it, it definitely was something that I introduced intentionally to create a little creative space for myself under a different name, but still kind of claiming all of myself. Um, and, uh, you know, when I, when I think of Eliza Snow, I think of her poetry first, because that's when my parents told me why they chose that name for me, apart from being that the name they wanted was taken by my dad's sister. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, just throw, yeah, just throw that out there. Totally fine. Just throw that out there and let's continue with the story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's my, it's my second name. It's Catherine. I still get it, which is beautiful. Um, but that, that they, that they chose Eliza off a hymn that they were singing in Sunday. And it was something that they both just kind of knew together, standing up, holding the hymnal, like while Mm -hmm. my mom was pregnant. I love that story, you know? Um, And much, much later did I hear about, you know, the the trauma that she experienced uh, or at least the, the, the brutal like wounds of war that she experienced and her incredible feats with organizing the Relief Society and educating nurses and really just running the show and whatever she did for her men. I don't know. And I don't understand it. I'm honestly not like a historian of her by any means, but she, she's someone I always circle back to and reflect on. Um, I, I like it instinctively sort of trust her and whatever her judgment was, because she was clearly on a mystical quest of her own that yeah. I so respect and was really willing to work with whatever she had Mormonism was not the first, I don't think, um, um, church that she explored, you know, she was looking for community because she had something in herself that, uh, well, I really admire. And, and I, and I feel that a lot of women relate to, but they don't feel permission to relate to that fire. And that's a lot of what the depression, um, and the autoimmune stuff is. So, well, I, you know, you know, it's funny you're, you're bringing that part up because one of the things that we talk a lot about on the podcast, I mean, it's Mormons on Mushrooms, so we talk a lot about mysticism and the occult and stuff like that. And we do talk about how Joseph Smith was very into mysticism. And I, I don't really know much about Eliza Snow. I know that 
growing up, I thought she was the most famous Mormon woman ever. Um, uh, you know, with all the hymns that she wrote and being married to both Joseph and Brigham and, and, and all that kind of stuff, getting the Relief Society going. Um, if you look through a Mormon hymnal, it's like every other hymn it was written by Eliza R. Snow. But she also was kind of a witchy, magical woman. And in she was a seeker, you know, and obviously there was something about her that was making all of these dudes go crazy a little bit, like just want to <laughs> yeah. be around her and want to like, you know, be in her bubble in her space. I hope she hears you saying that. I, I hope she does. she does too, actually. Cause I'm, <laughs> should we channel her? And right I think we are channeling her right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think she said that through Doug. I think she oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. But I, yeah, but that, I, so I don't know much about her. She probably had like a real, really weird. I know she, I know she converted uh, Lorenzo Snow, who's her brother, maybe. Yeah, her brother or cousin. Um, I should have done some research before we did, but I I just know that she's badass and probably was a witch from the woods who kind of balanced the the Christianity with the occult and the mystic type of stuff, and was probably really fucking cool, and um, is lost is lost to the patriarchy basically just uh is is sort of you know whittled down to the category of um you know wife of brigham young it, it was it was i know it was like debated for a long time if she was even part of the whole joseph smith deal you know mm-hmm. but i think she was for sure but anyway she claims she 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 well i mean i think she kind of waffles depending on who's asking but again <laughs> like you know like i sort of trust her judgment but um yeah she she was an incredible woman and i i think it's actually on the women it's on the sisters to communicate her legacy and the mormon church i'm sure would be a lot better off and this is why this this curiosity in me actually is why i haven't been moving away from mormonism i've spent the last 15 20 years moving away from it right now i'm actually moving back toward it very curious um about the conversations happening there and and also just after having integrated some of my own learning experiences, wondering how would I be participating in leadership if I had stayed Mormon, you know, um, what, just thinking of myself as a Mormon woman again, because I understand that this language, this, this tradition of icons and of stories is irreversibly impressive to my unconscious. Mm. So it's very powerful to me because that I was born in the covenant, baby. Yeah. You know? And so, so I, I have to work with that. That's for me, that's a question of responsibility for myself. Um, and for a long time, the answer was no, I can't work with that. I don't want to hear anything about the church, you know, um, or only to make fun of it. And, um, and no, no, you know, no, no, no salt to anyone who's there because, you know, it's, it's all part of the the spectrum of our relationship with it. But for me, um, I'm much more curious actually about this legacy that I am a part of, because I'm super romantic at my core yeah. that to be part of this, uh, Mormon tradition and say, well, Eliza Arsno, she is someone worth listening to. She's someone worth channeling, you know? 
And so what hymns would she write today? And that's been a lovely prompt for me this last month, especially. Um, So I can only recommend that. I love that. I want to see what you write with that. (laughs) And I love how you said, you know, romantic and the the church was a lot more romantic in those days when she was there. Right. It's not the same church that it is today in that sense. Right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's what tends to happen as organizations grow is that the sort of bureaucratic personalities, I think take over and that feels safer somehow for everyone. But, um, no, you can tell like Joseph Smith, whatever you think about, uh, you know, what his responsibility is, is or should have been for how he behaved. Like he was definitely a passionate, charismatic man, you know, um, and my quote unquote testimony on him has evolved, but I've made a lot of peace with it because I have to say Joseph Smith was like my first heartbreak. When I peeled the onion on him, uh, yeah, it, it, it hurt, it hurt. And so it was a long walk actually to, to, to forgive Joseph Smith, (laughs) but I'm there where I'm just sort of like, well, dude, you know, um, you surfed a 20 footer, but I, I think he started out, you know, like a sincere romantic and, uh, you know, Men often get confused. <laughs> Men often get confused when they when they get magnetic, you know. So yeah. like, <laughs> I do love well. how you re because I was just talking to Doug about this this last week. So I'm going back. I'm applying for grad school. I want to go get my PhD in depth psychology, and w- the paper I'm writing to get in, I decided to crack open the Book of Mormon for the first time in eight years. And write about Mormon myths and how they shape Mormon culture. And it's been a trip to kind of read back in the Book of Mormon from a lens of active imagination and symbolism instead of Nephi really did cut off Laban's head and that's, you know, historical and uh, uh, part of, you know, an inspiring spiritual story. And it's kind of cool to see how that story came about, but then also how it shaped Mormon culture and Mormon doctrine sense. And, but just being able to re-engage with that has been a process because even opening up, I actually don't have a book of Mormon anymore. So I had to pull it up online. I wish I had a physical one still. <laughs> I'm sure I can get it for free easily, but, <laughs> yeah. but just pulling it up online and reading through it and reading all the, and it came to pass and that it just, there's a trigger, but it was also a fascination. And I think something that I am feeling called to do in a certain way to reapproach it and look at it through that lens. Um, and it's been kind of a cool experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh. I, I was just going to add that Mike, you, when, when we did DMT together, um, I referenced Nephi's dream where the angel keeps saying, uh, and, and the angel said unto me, look, and I looked, you know, the angels showing him all these like different cool scenes of, you know, pil- pilgrims and civil war and revolutionary war and all that kind of fun stuff. For some reason, the angel didn't show him anything that happened after Joseph Smith's time, like historical stuff. Like he never showed him Hitler, you know, ne- never showed him the depression. 
never showed him McCarthyism. But when I was doing DMT, I felt like I was in Nephi's dream because I felt like I had a female guide that was angelic of some kind. And that female guide kept saying to me, look, and I looked, <laughs> like, okay, I got to look at this shit. And behold, I looked, I did look, behold, I did look. And I looked, yeah. <laughs> the, the angel said, look, so I looked, you know, and I did. Did you see the future? I did not see the future. I just saw a bunch of shit about myself that was like, here's some things about you that we could look at. So look, mm. and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll look. Yeah, well, maybe Joseph Smith didn't get to be told about the future because he wasn't supposed to see that yeah. he was the one transcribing it right he was transcribing or, it yeah you know relaying it <laughs> yeah 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 he just he just was translating the uh the dream of some dude who died you know 1800 years ago <laughs> type of thing or okay this is good i was i was hoping that we would talk about mormon visions have y'all you all have any mormon vision updates from your journeys i'm collecting them i've decided just now Mike, you got any Mormon visions? Do I have any Mormon visions? Mormon I don't have themes? I mean, one that I've talked about on the podcast, and it kind of relates to what we were talking about with Eliza Snow in a way, was just in my ayahuasca journey, there was a big theme of my ancestors were there and they were passing the baton to me. So instead of seeing me, myself as walking away from Mormonism, no, they, they, they got me so far and now they're passing the baton and saying, go forth. And so if I were to write that as a Mormon, like in scripture, I would, I could write it in a certain way. Right. You'd like church any, it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> gave what you do you mean by Mormon? What do you mean by Mormon visions? Like, was that one or this is not what you're talking about? Um, well, I love that answer. Yeah. yeah. There's no wrong answer, but, um, <laughs> I like I've had in my in my walkabouts, you know, specific Mormon themes like um, one was the uh, the rod, the iron rod. Yeah. Like I, I, I had an interaction with the iron rod. Did anybody go there? Come on. No, I haven't. No? Would you tell us about I, your I interaction? It for us. Yeah. Um, that one. That OK. That one I will not tell you about. But another one that's arguably more intense <laughs> is that on a walkabout i had an interaction with joseph smith in some form oh. and it, it, and i and i kind of had so many different versions of actually my very first ayahuasca ceremony i had an interaction with heavenly father right. who showed <laughs> when i was like crazy and distressed or or actually at that point i will say my first ceremony was just a total shit show it was my ego was like out of control with my intentions forgiven but <laughs> it, it it ended for like a very volatile first night for me and i also had i just had so many questions and i i I wasn't sure like what to do with my career, with my life, you know? And that was when heavenly father showed up and was like, Hey, it seems like you want me again. Like, it seems like you want a life where there's like specific, you know, like answers and I can be real for you again. And I was like, do I have to go to church every Sunday for those three hours? You know, or it was three at the time. 
And, uh, and and then like before he could even answer, I was like, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> I kind of got through. I could be real for you again. Oh my gosh. I love this. <laughs> that, but Fucking that was good. my first of like a series of Mormon theme. Uh, yeah. Experiences in that context where eventually I began to tell myself, like, I, you know, part of my pedigree as a storyteller is I'm a Mormon storyteller. I'm ha- I mean, it's like just written into the the way that I process apparently. Um, and plenty of people can relate to that. There's a real audience and I, I never wanted to turn my back on them. I tried so hard. I don't know about y'all, but to not leave the church, um, for my family, for the Mormon community, for the idea, for BYU, you know, for, for so many things. Um, and, and I'm just kind of a lover, like an inclusive person. And so, so, so this type of reunion for me of feeling like I can reach out again to particularly for post Mormons or, or, or basically your community here where those of us who have kind of ex- integrated that expansion pack where we can like hop the Mormon fence, but, but, but still feel drawn to these cosmic questions or, you know, the, the, the overall themes of, of family and God and nature. And those are truly my people. So. Yes. Oh man. God, I'm loving this. Same. <laughs> Triple same, dude. Triple same. Triple same. Holy crap. But what did heavenly father look like in your vision? The yeah. standard white beard and white robe. Did it he... was one of those things, you know, where it, it that part didn't really come into clear focus. And and yeah. ditto for the Joseph Smith one. The Joseph Smith one was so abstract. Like, there was no ambiguity. And it was strangely calm and normal for me to be like, oh, that's <laughs> Joseph Smith. But that's I Joe. knew. Yeah. All I yeah, knew was Joe. that he had kind of a cringy purple energy. And sure. to my surprise, a mustache, which I believe I roasted him about a little. <laughs> Wait, this was Heavenly Father or Joseph Smith? This was that was Joseph, Joseph Smith. Oh, that okay. was Joseph Smith. He didn't, yeah. he didn't ask you to be a wife, did he? Did he propose? Or? <laughs> no, he had a very. Um, he moves fast. He had a very like forlorn energy. Mm-hmm. He 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 was wrestling with some stuff. He was not content with his service. But he was also the, the first thing I remember in that was some communication that I interpreted as I'm just like you, you know, or I was just like you, like basically a person who was excited about um reimagining community and, and reimagining the way we relate to the earth and, you know, the divinity of it. And, you know, people were very excitable and a theme that always comes across in my work that I try to communicate to whether someone's credulous or incredulous, you know, a believer or non-believer now is that it's really quite impossible to imagine the world of credulity. If you're living in incredulous times, or I guess in Mormon mm. speak, it would be like righteous and unrighteous, because the fundamental assumptions of reality and what the point is of living and what's a successful life are so fundamentally different that to look back and like judge the choices of those societies, it, it, it's, it's almost like looking through the, or the looking glass, you know, there's a real inversion that is very, very hard for the human mind to negotiate. So to look back on Joseph Smith's time, which was a time of, well, it was a crisis of faith, but also a time of general credulity where, where people were having visions and people's senses were not so consistently interrupted and overstimulated that their imaginations 
their personal worlds were quite deep and vivid. Um, and to, to make a claim of having had that kind of dialogue um, was not quite as manipulative uh, as as we would probably think now, um, maybe maybe more impressionist than than what has been passed down as the Mormon myth, um, but certainly within the realm of sanity. So I think that's important when we're reflecting on the pioneers. That took me a while to come around on because for a while for me the whole thing was like, oh, these were like sex trafficking perverts who were run out of civilized, you know, like I went to the very dark, um, bitter dismissal uh, of of the Mormon church. And just now uh, in the last two years, I'd say, have I been really like integrating that? And that actually came through basically genealogy work inspired by my psychedelic experiences. So I, I did, I haven't had a Mormon uh, themed vision, but I did today have a moment that I've been looking forward to for different reasons for like 10 years. So, and I blame, I, I blame plant medicines for the way this played out. So that that's close enough. Right. So when I was going, when I was first leaving the church and I was going through my real angry phase and bitter phase. Um, I kind of thought I was like, like Tom Cruise and a few good men. Like I thought I was going to really catch people, you know, in their, in their hypocrisy or, or, you know, in their words. So the a question that I used to ask my Mormon friends and family was, well, what could the church do that would make you leave the church? And then my whole like uh, gotcha moment was I would tell people, if your answer is nothing, fine. But if your answer is something, then you're just like me and you're just waiting for that that stimuli to come along. You're waiting for that uh, watershed moment uh. that will take you out of the church. So one of, one of my most, a person I love very much in this world, 10 years ago, she said to me, I, I asked that question and she said, well, if the church started opening up to the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, I think that that would be the thing that would make me leave the church. And so for 10 years, I've been waiting for the, I told you so, like I, I I've been waiting for the church to become a little bit more open to LGBTQ so that I could say to her, okay, now you, now you have to leave the church. I told you so gotcha type of thing. Well, fast forward to today this more or this afternoon we got to do a conversation me and this person i love and we were talking about um lgbtq lgbtq rights and and stuff like that and she opened up to me and said i just wish the church would take larger strides to be more welcoming and open and accepting of lgbtq and that was the moment I've been waiting for, right? The problem is in that moment, and even now, right now, I was just so impressed and grateful and supportive and excited for her that she's open to the idea of the church, you know, opening up that door. 
and 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 widening its tent and and making all feel welcome. So instead of saying I told you so, I got the whole internal thing of dude, you've been waiting for all this time for her to say that and you thought you had a big old gotcha and it turned out I was the one who got got. You know, it was like, <laughs> "Oh, yeah. I'm actively supportive of the way she views her her faith and the way that she views her path through path within uh, the Mormon church. So probably the reason I came around is plant medicines because they've completely turned me around and fucked me up and told me I'm 180 degrees different than I used to be. But uh, sometimes, sometimes we get what we want, but it's not, uh, it's not exactly what we thought it would be. Anyway, that's my closest story to a Mormon vision that I've got. Maybe I'm resisting. The medicines are very persuasive. Yeah, the medicines don't take they yeah. they're no joke. <laughs> that's true. I've been thinking about that, that actually. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I try to promote awareness of hypnosis is because they can be really intense. They're not for everyone. They're not for everyone all the time. Um and there's just intermediary steps that, that we can take for checking in with ourselves and creating vivid experience from that. Uh, or, or I know y'all had guests recently of people who are doing like cannabis assisted therapies. And that's also under the umbrella of plant medicine, but is a probably a more appropriate beginner service um, or for certain people who are just very sensitive, you know, or have history, certain mental histories. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Just gonna say, Zaley, I think you were. Did you bring some cards for us? Oh, um, I always have cards. All right, I always have cards on me. Like, I don't think I told you about this, but she's gonna bring some cards. To help oh, me. shit! Hell yeah. yeah! So I don't know, Doug, if you ever saw, but on my former she shed Instagram when it was the she shed hypno parlor, my shtick was basically writing on these three by five cards, usually something hopefully a little bit catchy, a little bit obscure so that people would read the caption. So before I wiped it, you would have seen a whole lot of three by fives uh, on my Instagram feed. And even though I'm not active on social media anymore, um, I, I do always have the three by fives. And so this is just the stack that's been in my desk. And uh, I told Mike that we could pulse them out at random, maybe. And if you're curious about any of them, you can stop me and I will elaborate. Does that sound fun? That sounds that great. Sounds I love this idea. <laughs> fantastic to me. Yeah. Okay. I'll try to open them at random. Uh, maybe we should ask our guides to pick them. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Our guides are already going to help. It's fine. Yes, we should have opened it with the guys. What are we, amateurs? I know, we yes. are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a thing about just like, I've come to accept about myself that I like to do things out of order. That's yeah. like part of my archetype, guys. And you know what? My guys um, know that about me too. They know that I just like sometimes just like, and so they, they know how to roll with the punches. They're good with that. Yes. All right. Let's see. So this one, this one is about reality walks, which is an offering that we're having here at the, the salon that I host in South Austin. And reality walks is basically going on dog walks with myself through the creek 
that we live on and it's a walking meditation. And the reason that it's called reality walks is because the Creek has changed a lot. The Creek is changing all of the time. Uh, and that really struck me as a Yankee girl moving down to Texas that it's, it's truly, I've always been kind of a water Sprite, but it's a really different situation, a Texan Creek. Like sometimes it's not there for months and then it's back and crazy. And, um, and also in the last, literally for, for my stretch of the Creek, the last like month and a half, we've, we've had new uh, campers as the city has changed its policy on people's ability to camp on the streets, new campers um, in the, in the Creek area. Um, so reality walks has been going on since before, but now we're just really working with actually creating a, a natural fellowship with all sorts of people in the Creek. Um, and yeah, it's led by Benny, who's my amazing healer dog that I never <laughs> thought I would say, but <laughs> I love that. Yeah. He's perfect. He's so perfect for Instagram that it's almost a shame, you know, but, uh, you just gotta come over and see him. He's a Weimariner and a chocolate lab mix. And he's very, very chill, very chill and cuddly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It made me think of, so I just heard this and I'm going to butcher this quote, but like, I was listening to something this week and they were talking about, you can't step in the same, just when you're talking about the Creek and like, like no man can step in the same river twice because it's not the same river and he's not the same man or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, It's nature really is the best teacher. You know, if you can just surround yourself with its motif and its logic, I think a lot of those deep anxieties just get resolved. (laughs) Yeah. That's so true. When you realize a a thousand years from now, the river is still going to be there and we're going to be gone. Be. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, why are maybe, we worried? Maybe you'll be gone. Maybe I'll be like a bird. Maybe I'll maybe I'll <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she did. Hey Mike, she had no problem just uh you know banishing you, but she's like, I'm not gonna be gone. I'm still you volunteered. Yeah, yeah, I did. I volunteered <laughs> to be banished. I'm going back to uh the stars. <laughs> oh, man. Doug and I will be farmers up in Oregon. We'll be fine. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sounds great to me. Oh man. Let's do another do more. Yeah, we, I, I want to do more of those. Those are cool. I, I was thinking about Bruce Lee when you were talking about the creek just as ever-changing, you know, be water. You um, were thinking about Bruce Lee? Did you just say that? I, I did, yeah. I love Bruce <gasps> Lee. Just this week, Bruce Lee has been... I keep these notebooks. Okay, forget the cards. We're on to notebooks now. Look. Ooh, these skinny mini notebooks. Um, I'm going to let you tell me about Bruce Lee because that's what I know. That's I the end. Like, I want you to tell us about the notebooks. I just... <laughs> Bruce Lee talked about being like water because it, it's yes. strong, but it flows, it changes, it's never the same. Yeah. Dude, I wrote that quote on my wall, literally. This, this is over here. Yeah, look. I have notes everywhere. Everything's a bulletin board. Be like water, Bruce Lee. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That's this leak, baby. There we go. Yeah, Bruce. We give credit to Bruce for that. Yeah, big ups to Bruce, man. Yeah, I just a part of what I'm developing here for myself, like in my in my curriculum with performance art is my own choreography language. Um, I did dance team in college and uh, choreographed for a while in my 20s for a group out in San Diego. I had some lessons before, but I'm mostly self-taught. And so 
it, it really took like the pandemic for me to admit to myself, like, what do I love? What do I want to be doing? And that all coming back to dance. And I'm just really, really leaning into it now, you know, as so many of us are. Um, and so I have these notebooks where I'm basically just sort of sending myself back to art school via YouTube and any performer or, or teacher, anyone I'm curious about gallery, what have you. Um, I'll just spend a couple minutes a day watching a video and taking notes, you know, kind of morning coffee time stuff or <laughs> in a blip of depression. It feels really nice. <laughs> um, and Bruce Lee has, I just been on the Bruce Lee rabbit hole this last week. Yeah. Um, I had uh, no idea he got his start being the cha 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 king of Hong Kong. Did you know? Yeah. yeah. I oh, didn't yeah. know that. This is oh. Just to like get, just so that we're on the same Bruce Lee level. Yeah. <laughs> for my for my birthday, my brother came, my brother gave me the complete works of Bruce Lee. So it was everything he said, every every movie he ever made, everything that he ever did. So I I love Bruce Lee. Is what I'm trying to oh say. Gosh. I you love. You gotta come Bruce host Lee. the salon when we have the salon here focused on Bruce Lee. Oh. You should co-host. You could I live mean, stream it. Even if I could just not even co-host and be a participant and just bask in the Bruce Lee love, I would be very down for that. Yeah. I like, I always it. knew he was a big deal. I always believed it. I just wasn't the type to really, like, look into that very, very deep, you know, like, martial arts stuff. Um, but I'm so ready now. Again, I think it's a 40s thing, maybe, where yeah. I'm like, so. oh, I'm feeling all these systems. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's so he's so dope, you know, because he got in a lot of he got in a shitload of trouble for taking um, martial arts to the, uh, you know, he opened the studios in California and and and, and taught white people, uh, well, taught Americans, I mean, it, you know, taught them sacred ancient martial arts, and he got in a shitload of trouble for that. But he was wise beyond. God, Bruce Lee died young too. I mean, what was he, twenty nine or thirty? two or 33 or something. I mean, he was young when he died, mm. but he was, man, what a person Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee would be a prophet if there wasn't so much um, video footage of him, you know, if there wasn't so much video footage of him, that's interesting. Cause he would have more mystique. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because all of his, uh, all of his humanity was caught on film um, there's people alive right now that knew Bruce Lee. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like that thing about Jesus, you know, no man is a prophet in his own country or no one is a prophet in their own country. Uh, if Bruce Lee was spouting the wisdom and the knowledge and the, I mean, he was on the pursuit of human perfection. I mean, he was, he did things that people that are impossible. And so if he existed before cameras, Bruce Lee would be, a um, considered a prophet. There's probably, there's probably people that still consider him a, a man of God, a, a, a prophet, but he, there would be a Bruce Lee religion, I think. And I would be a member of that. I was going to say, even you prophesying that now you're a prophet, I think like, yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a Mobius, Mobius strip, but I'm with you there. I'm, I'm yeah. in the Bruce Lee orbit now. So welcome. Welcome aboard girl. Let's do I'm, this. Like, I'm converted as well. I got to get yeah. in into this. <laughs> yeah. You just got to spend like 12 minutes on YouTube and you'll, you'll, you'll add like seven years to your life. Just watching him, you know, 
he, he creates possibilities or something yeah. like that. Yeah. He does. He does the impossible. Yeah. All right. Let me show you this other card. This is, this is like the very initial stage of what an installation might look like for me as I'm designing it. An art installation, experiential art installations and live community events are the main uh, services that I offer to produce with She Shed Creations. And so this one is a garden friendly um, gnome elevator. Uh, and for the audience that can't see, it's just pink highlighter scratching the basic shape of, it kind of looks like a milk carton almost, but it's actually an elevator with a potato in it that has bird seed in it, that it will look like one of many gnomes on elevators at various stages in the little trees along our Western fence. So that's an installation to look forward to. Um, to coincide with the Austin studio tour in November. So oh. that's what that card was. I love just that. like a scribble and yeah. I, oh. Yeah, so we'll like test a few versions of it between now and then and see, see which ones uh, will be a maximum charm <laughs> for November. <laughs> Doug, you've seen gnomes in your visions. <laughs> Yeah. Or DMT elves, I guess, is what. Yeah. But. yeah I I uh, I'll, uh, often I I can't I can't get away from those those folks like they just keep they keep coming at me. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to see your our installation. I'm excited to hear your stories. Are you going to say more? I know you don't have to. I don't like to press people, but I. I, yeah, I, I, I would like that. Well, so, you know, earlier when I was talking about the, the, the female energy angel butterfly moth guide, who was showing me things on, uh, when I was doing DMT. So yeah. she's part of that same crew of these little entities or, or creatures that show up frequently for me when I'm in an altered state of consciousness um, showed up when I was doing ayahuasca showed up a few times when I'm doing, um, when I'm using mushrooms and then obviously with the DMT as well. And they always have a real consistent look and nature, and they're always excited to show me things. And they're always excited to sort of like teach me a little bit, but they also have this loving, but mocking or teasing, uh, yeah. sort of personality, you know? And so a lot of times they'll call me on my bullshit or they'll, um, you know, bring, you know, kind of inch me towards things in my history or my past or my present that I'm not ready to maybe uncover. And they're just like, let's push a little bit farther. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Take a look at this. And they're always trying to show me. I always try to, I always try to sing it for Mike, but they're always trying to show me a song and a beat. And they're like, it's like this. And they, then they do the thing and I, I won't, embarrass myself by trying to do it right now but it's always the same beat and kind of the same sounding song and i'm like one of these days i'm going to remember it and figure out a way to play it and channel it and do something yeah that's yeah. incredible it's cool it's 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 discomforting when i'm in it and then afterwards i always get so grateful and want to go back and want to get yeah, more yeah 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 when yeah. i'm in I mean, it i'm always like, just like yeah. yeah this is a lot you know yeah like I remember one time when we were tripping together and you were trying to describe what you were seeing 
You're like, see, they're the little cat. Like they're doing, they're coming up in this thing. And like, don't you see it? Like one's coming up in the middle and it's like Angela Lansbury face. Like what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's an Angela Lansbury, Bernstein bears, cat, snake creature, but she's coming up and showing me love and rising and showing me things. And, oh, and wow. I'm, I'm just babbling like a, like a tripping hippie to Mike. And Mike's like, yeah, man, sounds cool. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then she's got like a purple sort of robe kind of looking thing on, but it's fur and it kind of part of her snake. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, Doug, you got to learn to just take it in and just keep it for yourself. You know, that yeah. Angela Lansbury snake bear, Berenstein bear. <laughs> that's holy, dude. That's yeah. archetypal. Yeah. It, it, drink big time. In. Holy. Like I even talking about it, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, telling my, my temple name and, and stuff like that. Oh, but, I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. That's but, how I felt talking about Joseph Smith, but I'm like, if I can't talk about talking to purple face, mustachio, Joseph Smith, like in my <laughs> trippy visions on this podcast, like where yeah. can I talk about it? You know? Um, but it sounded, that sounded like fairies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. the wings, that depends which sort of, breed of fairies you're talking about but especially the trying to teach you a song do you know that there's precedence for that that's what fairy tales are really mostly about is the fairies trying to teach music or giving music to humans i did fairy not music? know that i did okay, not know we that. gotta talk we gotta we talk. do need it yeah my great grandfather who was the one in my family who immigrated from ireland to springfield he was a vaudeville, eventually became something of a vaudeville star out in Massachusetts at the time. And he played the fiddle. And he was said to have had songs that the fairies taught him when he was out in the fishing boats before he oh crossed over. Yes. Yeah. So, and it's still said, and people today, this is what's so cool about the folk music, Ugh, you know. But the songs always come with the stories, you know, where the song was learned from. That's something I really love. And then so especially in West Cary, where my family's from, such a rich tradition. And uh, you'll still hear people introduce songs saying they learned it from them, who learned it from them, who learned it from the fairies, you know, or something along those lines. So and, and what region of fairies, you know. Oh, my gosh. Well, and that's been the theme. I I told Mike. Uh, when we we're last I, last week, I told I told Mike uh, that like this is blowing my brain right now with this. It's knowledge. blowing my yeah. brain a little bit too. Yeah. So I I because I try to like give Mike a, a feeling of the sound and the rhythm of this song, but the but the message that I recently got was you you, you gotta if you want if you want to channel this song, you got to get better at music. Like you just you Ooh. gotta you gotta get better. So that you can hear it, take it, and channel it. And I'm just like, oh, shit. Because I like playing my cowboy chords and singing a sad song around a campfire. I love doing that. But I don't have the ear or the skill to really, like, create. And I can't even say create because someone. It's I've already heard the fucking song. But to channel, channel that and put it you into, You have like, everything you need, obviously. Obviously, you have everything you need or they would not be wasting their time with you. Because fairies are very discerning in all the stories. And what really made you think of it also is that they're they're like very mercurial in that way that you said, you know, kind of teasing you that like playful taunt is what made me go. I think you're participating in a distinct tradition there. Um, 
But basically what you need then is just like a producer or a partner to be like, you know, help you go from A to B if, if, if getting better is, is something that you're feeling called for. That's me butting in, but that's not you butting kind of in. That's you giving wisdom. Yeah. I need to. Yeah. yeah. I do need that. Yeah. I, in okay. fact, I made a, because of this whole thing, I made a commitment that instead of continually stumbling along, teaching myself how to do music, I'm going to take, um, I'm going to, I'm going to start, I'm 41 years old. I'm going to start taking for the first time in my life, piano lessons and guitar lessons and voice lessons, which that's going to be the biggest challenge for me. Cause I, I, I have some internal weirdness about my singing voice, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yes. I've got to do, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Do it. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how we got on that. Oh, well, we're on the yeah. same wavelength again, Doug, because I, I had a really similar thing. And when I stopped writing, I basically, you know, kind of went on a basically a year's hiatus of writing on Instagram uh, originally. Um, and, and part of it was just that, like, I was needing that energy to, to re-explore music. And it took me a while to figure that out that it was like, oh, I'm focusing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm naturally trying to focus on this other part of myself where this is going to be much better for what I need to do. And it made so much sense with what I had been studying. It was like unconsciously, I had become, <laughs> made myself consciously aware of the fact that these somatic exercises do something different that as wonderful as it is and as fundamental as it is to me personally, to express with the written or the spoken word that to actually vibrate, you know, my body through song um, does something different. And to use the parlance of my ancestors thins the veil in a certain way um, that is so constructive for me. And that when I let myself do it without getting up in my head about, does this mean I have to cut an album? And, you know, what are the neighbors going to think of mine? You know, that when I can just (laughs) (laughs) allow myself to play with the winds and to play with my wind, my breath, um, in the way that I need, like I can actually adjust my mood, you know, in a way that was never taught to me really consciously, but that's a folk technology. That's a somatic technology. And and that's why enduring cultures usually have traditional songs or a tradition of song, you know, um, that can help people self-regulate. You're blowing my mind right now. I, I know we got things that we got to like talk about because we're recording right now, but I, I sincerely just want to keep talking about this back and forth for five <laughs> hours like, I, can, I mean um, what else do we need to talk about that is great well i want well we st- i well, want to still talk about hypnotism i want to draw another card i want to look at your notebooks i want to do all that stuff there's but i want to talk just, about yeah but i do have to, there's something about you know you know doug when i'm writing songs there's something i, I get into a space and the tune comes out, but then I get in my head when it comes to the lyrics and has to rhyme and has to do this. And I'm never satisfied at the end because it's like, I feel like I've taken something and then put my head into it. And I don't, I'm not happy. I'm never happy with the song after I'm done with it, but there's something about like just feeling into like the, the beat and the rhythm and the tune and flowing with it. That just like, I don't know. I feel like I need to tap more back into that. Or it's a theme. It's definitely a theme. And among my, my friends as well, uh, 
nobody's like totally taken the plunge yet into being like, okay, let's be a band. But like, we're all kind of towing on it. Um, (laughs) I rented a fiddle. I started playing guitar again. Um, I've been doing vocal exercises and really enjoying it because yeah, it's, 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 it's a restoration in a way of a part of this bigger, like, like depth genealogy journey that I've been on to assimilate my heritage and realizing that when people talk about music in the Irish context, yeah, they, it really doesn't translate. The Irish word is kill and you can say kill means music and that music is important in the Irish context, but really it's more like kill is a register of speech. It is part of our natural correspondence with each other and our extended selves, you know, of the world. And that to be socialized through music, through a musical family, you know, some more than others, sure. But that, that, that there's all, there's no making up for that because it, it naturally does these things that we need anyway, like the humility, these mental blocks that we're talking about together and we all have them, you know, but those are basically egoic blocks, you know, it takes a certain amount of humility to be overheard when you're, you're learning and you're struggling, um, a, a huge vulnerability to, to jam with people, you know, to have sessions where it's all about, eye contact and paying attention and um and then just the discipline that it takes to learn an instrument to literally toughen the hands strengthen the fingers and focus that creates connections through the body that don't just parallel or or represent but actually are the connections of our recall of our intelligence of our self-coordination so all those things aren't just like extras as they've sort of become portrayed with the modern curriculum they really are fundamental to just us uh moving energy through life as a social species wow i'm gonna tell i'm gonna we can cut this part if it's too silly, but I'm going to tell y'all something. Um, so uh, this morning, I, oh, no, not this morning, yesterday, last night, I was doing a, I was doing a meditation. I was doing a, there's a inner, inner child med, or a yeah, inner child meditation that I like to do once in a while, just to sort of clean out what's going on in there and a, approach things that I haven't thought about for 30 years or whatever it is. And this thing came in that I haven't thought about, you know, I just haven't thought about it, but basically the setting is I'm 14 years old and it's Christmas time. And we're at my grandma's house doing the traditional family Christmas Eve thing. And we're sitting around with all my loved ones, all my family, we're going around singing Christmas carols. And I had, I'm in the process of going through puberty. And so my voice is cracked and squeaky, but also deep and manly, but kind of back and forth, you know? So I'm, I'm sitting there and we're singing these songs and I'm still in that childlike wonder where I sing with my heart and I sing as loud as I can because I love these Christmas carols. And we're, I can't believe I remember, we're singing joy to the world. Hmm. And evidently, I'm singing in a voice deeper than what my dad is used to hearing. 
and he's sitting next to me and mid song, he puts his arm around me and leans down and he goes, why are you singing so funny? Sing better. You don't need to sing with such a deep voice. Sing the, the words, sing the song with the tune with the rest of us. Sing at the same pitch and, and key that the rest of us are singing. He says that mid song, mid joy to the world. And so I, I came out of that. I didn't, I didn't go back as a present adult grown man. I did not go back and hold that 14 year old boy. I did not go back and give him uh, encouragement. I didn't say your voice sounds great. Keep leaning into it. Explore the deep registers. Your voice. I didn't do any of that stuff in the meditation. I just came out of it, Mm. but it really made me think of Mike there countless times. You and I have sat around a fire or a group of people and played songs and, uh, you know that every time I play a song and before I start singing, I give a disclaimer that's like, yeah, I'm not much of a singer or, you know, I'm, you know, I can't sing very well and my voice is pitchy and I can't find the right key. I give that apology before I play any kind of song. And it really has, uh, it's funny, the synchronicity. we're talking about this today. It's yeah. like you two manifested this because I was thinking right. about this last night, but um, <laughs> that's what came up for me is that I'm ashamed of my voice because I'm still 14 and a half years old going through puberty with my dad, who is the representation of God in my life mm. saying to me, stop singing so funny. And I'm like, Oh, mm. I didn't realize I sang funny. And now I've been uh, apologizing since for my singing voice. And just as we were saying, Doug, your subconscious is hearing that. And number two, your voice is sexy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> as you can thank you thank you but i can't i can't hear that mike when, when yeah. i'm saying all i hear when i'm no, singing, i get it all i hear when i'm singing is a little boy who's trying to navigate a squeaky voice that goes deep once in a while and um doesn't know how to stay with the right pitch god damn it. your practice has served you so well because even though in that particular session you just kind of came out of it that session gave you an awareness of where you have that tenderness and you know you can totally go back to that moment and and find that self and do what you need to do and you can do it as many times as you need to do it and you can hire someone to help you if it, if if there's some other block but you're it, it sounds like you're on the precipice of having your best relationship ever with singing which yes. is so lovely to hear oh my god and yeah, daily I'll go ahead. Hire you, Zaley. <laughs> like, just tell me, tell me more of those things, and I'll get there. I promise. For anyway, sure. Sorry. You know, um, I I have coached people in singing before. I've had some great honors actually um, with coaching people and in, in opening the throat. Um, and and it's an ongoing journey for myself as well. I I definitely when I was a kid, I was very performative. A, a funny mix of like being very performative and also very shy. Um, and also very, what other people would have probably considered awkward, like a homely child, you might say. And I think it, it alarmed some people or they didn't know how to react that I could be so passionate, you know, with singing and with dancing to be this kind of like pudgy, lazy eyed, like, <laughs> 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 um, you know, just throwing hips and, and, and yeah. really rolling some, rolling some notes. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun to have a follow period and, and then come back around and stitch it all together. That's what I'm realizing is when you've incorporated the magic of Bruce Lee, <laughs> 
nothing is lost. You, you, you can just mix and match with the people yeah. you've been. That's super cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she might be my spirit guide. My I fucking love this. I fucking <laughs> love God, it. I don't know what's going on here, but. And Doug, I, I do think there's something to say about like, there's something about time and I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. We often think of like regret, maybe a regret that like in that moment, your dad didn't say that. And so then you would have felt secure in your voice all these years. But I think there's something about being repressed for a while, keeping that in that then it's like creating an energy that then when it does unleash, it's like, it's even, it's even bigger in a way. And maybe I'm just making this up. But it reminds me a little bit, and it came to mind, Zaley, when you were talking about art and to kind of tie it back into Liza R. Snow and the Mormon people, you know, we often say in this podcast that we're descended from visionaries and dreamers and uh, pioneers who crossed the plains. I think we're also descended from artists, you know, yeah. and artists who've been repressed in this, you know, if creative energy and sexual energy are the same thing. I mean, sexual energy is creative energy. And the fact that, you know, that's the first thing you, you know, we say from zero to seven, we were talking about being programmed. I think primary, we were kind of programmed from zero to seven and even from zero to 14, especially, or the, our whole lives about sexuality and create, and therefore creativity Yeah, that when this repression gets unleashed in a way, I think we've got to have some beautiful art to contribute to this world. And, oh, you know, maybe that's too grandiose, but like, whatever. No, I, <laughs> I, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think even like art makes total sense to say it, but even less specifically just beauty, you know, the, the beauty yeah. of how we engage. Um, because one of the things that, that I've really been integrating the last couple of years as I've described as coming back into this gratitude for my upbringing. And it, it took some humbling sequences, but finally I realized that some of the things that I liked most about myself that I had come to give myself full credit for in the kind of individualist capitalist tradition that we have these days um, were actually things that were programmed in me by my Mormon parents and their spiritual curriculum, you know, and, and that where it's easy for me to assume that like, yes, of course, I, I am a, a generous person. I'm a person who gravitates toward excellence and seeks to elevate. And, you know, these things that have remained basically consistent, like, I don't know, actually, that that would be me if I had not had this sort of Mormon brainwashing that also had downsides, you know, but at least they chose, they had a strategy for, for socializing me. And I, and I respect that now. And I respect that basically it was one of wanting to take responsibility for yourself and for, for your own. And to be candid with you, I was so enthusiastic as a young believer. And if anything, it was that I felt there wasn't a big enough place in the church for me that I started to lose interest as a woman. I just, I, I could see the writing on the wall, at least in my ward, I felt um, that some of the teachings that actually make more sense to me now that I am a mother um, than what they did before. Um, they just 
rang false to me because they were, were being relayed by people who had not really incorporated these teachings. In other words, uh, what we were saying about the importance of women and of mothers and the role of them and their ability to call on the priesthood was was not being demonstrated to me in real life, only theoretically. And I, I could feel that the sisters were not, from my perspective, um, as as cherished as they needed to be in order to actually enjoy their ex- existence yeah. um, in this plane. And so for me, that was like a big nope, you know, um, but I do appreciate that, that there were so many things there taught to me um, that were also consistent with um, my ancestral legacy. And I think that my father who converted from Irish Catholicism to Mormonism as a teenager was really acting through his ancestral instincts and in, in taking up this interest in church that, you know, put so much on this concept of the eternal family and on service and self-sufficiency. Um, so a lot of things have just started to come together really after they all seemed completely randomized and scattered in those repressive twenties and, and even thirties, you know, and, and probably still now, you know, like. <laughs> God. I love this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just basking. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you kind of just basking in what you just said right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm having so much fun. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I could quick talk y'all into making me a regular because I really enjoy the storytelling that y'all do on here. So you could easily talk us into uh, inviting you to be a regular and maybe just, maybe just fill in for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? The longer Doug and I do this, the more it's like, Doug, have we just found the people who should really be on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right at the point. I think you're right. Poised at the point where, like the, the Mormon Renaissance or post-Mormon or see, I have come to identify as a psychedelic Christian. Um, that's on one of these cards. I'm sure. Let's well, pretend um, we pulled is... that one. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys for pulling that one right at the right moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm still getting used to it actually. Like I forget to, I, to, to, to be like, Oh yeah, I'm owning that now, but I have, I just debuted my, my, first installation at this venue um, called prayer hands and it's a living sculpture is what i call it and it's basically a hopeless puzzle of a shattered christian communion table that had been long story but had been rebarred into the kitchen floor of my house and had on, had to be removed by sledgehammer and so this is now I, I tried to get rid of it and then i tried to use it for landscaping and then i tried to reassemble with it re- reassemble the pieces and finally accepted that um, I just had this incredibly odd artifact that I had so many feelings about um, because it had these Christian prayer hands, if you've seen that icon engraved yeah. onto the marble yeah. top. And it repulsed me when I first saw it. I was like, get it out. Um, and in the years since, as I've been doing the spiritual work that originally began with conscious intention to work on my whiteness to, to, to find the blind spots there and um, 
to, to do clearing, any clearing that, that needed to happen in my line. And one of the things that came in really strong was like, there's no avoiding um, the fact that I have a Christian heritage, you know, and, it, and my desire and the desire of other spiritual, but not religious types, you know, that I was kindred with was to, to want to like skip that and be like, oh, we're pagans, you know, especially in the, the Celtic uh, community, if you like, that we can kind of hop over the part where we converted and be like, this is our real nature. And so there's no blood on our hands. And we have these kind of cosmological free reigns. And I did do that. And, and then I, I ended up being very confronted with this thing of, of no, you have to understand uh, this part of your ancestral memory, you know, in order to not have that be this blind spot. So that has been extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> and now it's very fun. But um, I have to say it would not have I, I don't know if it would have transpired if not for my intentional use of psychedelics. So for me, it's a coming together of my um, socialization in this life, which was Mormon, which is a Christian tradition, and my ancestral heritage, which is Catholic for many, many, many generations. Um, and so it's it's not just one denomination, it's kind of an iridescent kind of relationship with Christianity, but that's very my style. So it feels like being a pioneer, but I think there are yeah. so many of us actually. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, but like, I think I loved how you were ca calling it a renaissance. And I don't know, there's something about this time with I don't mean I won't get into it. <laughs> get into it. Let's get into it. Because you were talking it. about there's a thing about when you were talking daily about connecting or Mormon symbols when we trip, I was I've got a little bit of a uh, kind of feeling. And I realized, oh, I think there's something about I don't want to approach those symbols, but I think there's a magic to kind of revisiting those and allowing those and not only just the Christian symbols, but, you know, Mormonism, it's a Zionist type religion where it's, and to see a Renaissance coming about with the people, you know, who were tasks at one point for the gathering of Israel, like, I don't know. Oh. You're not, okay. you're not down. You're not down for the, the Renaissance, Mike. I'm no, I'm saying I'm totally down for it. You are down. Yeah. I just have a weird feeling saying it. Cause it feels like I'm just repeating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I left Mormonism. And now I'm like, oh, wait, but maybe we still are uh, special people called for the last days to bring about this renaissance before global warming destroys us but all. It's, but it, even, okay, if we're playing by the rules where we're, we're yes anding, we're like yeah. giving the yes ands to our Mormon heritage, then it's not just us who are special. It's not like that, you know, yeah. because if you're called to missionary work, does not mean that like everyone born in this time, in this era, that's more of what it is, is that Ooh. we are the Latter-day Saints. We are the reserves. And I think that if you, if you look at the trend of like, oh, all these personality disorders and ADHD and autism and like all of this neurodivergence that's being interpreted in various shades of like, 
you know, problematic or whatever. I prefer the Mormon story of actually, these are the reserves of powerful, creative warrior priest people who love to live the life of celebration uh, and are, and are here to find new creative ways to make that possible, you know, and, and to look at the, the challenges of what attention spans we're working with and, you know, what, what traits of, of um, physiology that people may have to look at it through that lens. Like to me, that's refreshing. And also I don't get attached to the narratives anymore because having done my ancestor work, I understand what it means to come from a storyteller culture instead of a bureaucratic culture, which would be more of the Anglo tradition that we've inherited in America, um, that it, it's it's really about naming the poetic truth that can get us from just moment to just moment, mm-hmm. you know? So to be able to use like scaffolding the things that resonate with you in order to stay true to your values, and then also to release them as they begin to kind of go beyond the frame of the, of their contribution, like that's a wonderful cognitive skill that maybe we're just now learning, you know? Whoa. We're, we're better yeah. but America for Christianity to, yeah. to explode into to those, those kind of skills. Well, and I love what you were saying there because it it kind of hits more eloquently on what I was trying to say of like, if us as ex-Mormons or post-Mormons or however you want to define it, don't kind of reapproach our Mormonism and embrace that heritage. We're not offering to the world what we could. And it's not Mm -hmm. like we have the, the truth to offer to the world. No, but we have our unique experiences to bring to the table at this time. And if we don't kind of honor, I don't know, there's like a a thought of really embracing that and embracing what makes me, me and offering that to the world. And part of what makes me, me was primary and young men's and going on a mission and learning all these things that I've learned, even if there was repression and even though there was trauma and whatever you want to define it bringing all of that to the table to bring my unique art or gifts to the world at this time. And I kind of fucking love that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's sitting there on the table, you know, and and that's, what's compelling to me again, as a storyteller being like, I want to yes. And I want to work with the grain. And I think it just took me a while to accept that. First of all, a lot of my life really was reactionary because of my heartbreak over Mormonism, just feeling like it all fell apart right when I needed it the most. Um, and, and, and not wanting, maybe not wanting my parents to be right or whatever I had, but, but ultimately to accept that first of all, that was the tradition that I inherited. Um, and second of all, that it's not going away. Christianity is not going to be like wiped from the earth. You know, it's actually a very strong, diverse tradition. And once I accepted that, I realized I don't really have a good reason for not having conversations with these people in the language that I know how to use, you know, Um, except maybe cowardice or laziness or bitterness. Um, because this is a part of who I am. So, but that, but that's taken a, <laughs> that's been a sparkly roundabout, you know, like trying to get to that point, but I needed to be humbled, you know, oh. <laughs> having too much fun. And Joseph Smith broke my heart too, but for the record. <laughs> yeah. 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 
We should Bailey, get bumper stickers. Yeah. Joseph Smith broke my heart. <laughs> Sounds like a song you've been to. Joseph Smith broke your heart. <laughs> Did you say honk if Joseph Smith broke your heart? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of love it. Yeah. Um, Zayla, you keep using a, a, a term, yes, and, which is so great because, Mike, you use, you use that term a lot. I did. Yeah. And we're talking about uh, this week a lot, even. It came up this week a lot. Yeah. And for those like me who are new to that term, it's a, it's like a, from improv, it's a term from improv where the basic concept is if someone is creating a narrative, if someone's creating a story, then other actors, other participants in that story, their role is to say yes and build upon that story because by saying no uh, or, or, or trying to turn that down, they're limiting the possibilities of the story. They're taking away the momentum that that person is trying to build with their, with, with, with what's ever coming up and, and, you know, whatever they're trying to build on. And so to yes. And I'm, I'm doing this for people like me who don't know what the hell we're talking about um, to yes. And is to uh, continue on with, the story, the world that someone has built and to exist and operate and build upon that world. So I love that you keep using that term, Zaley, because Mike uses that term a lot when talking about um, the podcast and, and guests that we have on the podcast and, and just trying to yes and our life and, and the experiences that we're having. And so I feel like the synchronicities of this last couple hours has been, I mean, almost more than I can bear. <laughs> like it's been, it's been so freaking cool. Oh, and yeah. Would, it's, been, it's been a good one. And I would love to have you back on again, Zaylee. Let's keep, let's keep having these conversations. Cause yeah, I wish I would have hit you up when I was in Austin two months ago, but you know what? It's good. Well, it wasn't meant to be. Well, I'll be here. Probably I'll be here. I got um, a couple trips planned uh, before the end of the year. But basically, I am in Austin, except for a month off in the summer and a month off for Christmas. Uh, just run and shop here, keeping tabs for you all on <laughs> what's going on with the storyteller scene. And I think, you know, Mike, probably you saw that it's a really, really great blend of people from yeah. all different belief systems and uh, educational backgrounds. So um and, and probably after this episode airs, a bunch of post-Mormons are going to yeah. show up and come to my block party, hopefully. Yeah. Well, so, but in the meantime, they can just probably go to my newsletter. I feel like this is the time you guys were giving me the looks. Where We, we definitely want them to track you down and go to your heart <laughs> installations and get your newsletter. So how, what's, what are the best ways to support and get a hold of you and, and, and do that? Yeah, so I am not a huge email person. So my my e-newsletter is pretty minimalist. But if you want to be in touch, I definitely want to be in touch with, with your audience. So the best way to do that is to just subscribe there, which is tinyletter.com slash she shed. Tinyletter.com forward slash S-H-E-D or no. Wait, S-H-E-S-H-E-D. There you go. She said. She said. Um, and then my my plan, and this is also an act of performance art, I'm in the midst of it right now, is to withdraw from 
my social media accounts and to only have my online presence be on Patreon. I haven't launched that yet. Um, so I will let you know through the newsletter when that's up. And then, you know, we'll have something for, for everyone, but I'm the, the, all the fire that I was putting into my Instagram is going to be back for my Patreon in a more structured way. So I'm really looking forward to that too. Love it. Perfect. Love that. And you know what? I might be out there in November. I know it's a few months away, but got invited to go out to uh, the midnight concert out there. And so if we do, let's have a block party out there with the community. That'd be great as well yeah be there for one of the first three weekends and you'll be there for the austin studio tour so that would be great i mean i think this is all lining up perfectly (laughs) mike why can't why why didn't i get i want to go to the i'm inviting you right now let's do it if we're we're doing this we should really do that doug like we got space we'll we'll have a room yeah you can flop so oh that's awesome i mean let's seriously like i'll i'll text you the the dates and let's figure this out because okay i love duck more than anything and i also love the midnight more than anything <laughs> and you and i had a minute we had a moment with the midnight so oh we did Excellent. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zayla, you're awesome i know we've used two hours of your life but this has been such a fulfilling two hours that you you are radical you yeah. are so awesome it was so worth the wait thank you so much for having me and i look forward to the next version of it thank you all for putting it together thanks and i'm gonna actually also say thank you eliza too because <laughs> i kind of want to say that too yeah thank you, eliza. <laughs> it's received by all of me thank you brethren <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that gave me something brethren gave me the something brethren, for a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> brethren gives me something too yeah uh, <laughs> yeah that sounded a little kinky brethren <laughs> 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 all right much love everyone bye love y'all Night, y'all. hey guys thank you so much for listening to mormons on mushrooms podcast we have so much fun recording it and if you love it we would absolutely love it if you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts it would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories so thanks again for tuning in